Good morning, church. It is so good to be here on Anniversary Sunday. Hey, listen, let's just go on record right here and say, I love the church. Anybody with me? I mean, I just love the local church. I love what God does through his church. In fact, let me tell you this. It is the only institution on earth that Jesus himself started and promised to bless, and you're a part of it. Isn't that cool? Think about that. You're a part of the church of Jesus Christ, and this is very exciting. And I want to talk today about the strength of the church. I want to talk about the strength of the local church. And here's what I'll say. The church's strength is its ability to unite people. The series is called United. And what we see is that the church becomes this place where people are united together with one another. We're here to celebrate 96 years of strength Oh, that is really something to be excited about. 96 years in the heart of the city, doing great ministry over many, many years. I'm going to tell you just a brief oral history of GT a little bit later. But God put something in my heart um, that I really believe is for us today. It's for this moment, and it really fits well with this, this, uh, this theme of being united. Listen, well, I want to say it this way. When you're by yourself, you're a Christian, but when you're together, you're the church. And the church is strong. But this word Christian is actually a very interesting word because, you know, a lot of times it has a stigma attached to it. And a lot of people would even say, listen, I don't mind being a follower of Jesus. I'm just not sure about being a Christian. Some people would say that word kind of has too much attached to it. But I want you to know, it wasn't Christian people who assigned this word Christian to themselves. In fact, if you were to follow the earliest believers in the Bible, you'd find that they were called the people of the way. And when they would refer to one another, they would call themselves saints. We don't do that anymore. But they would call themselves saints. And what happened is somewhere along the way, they were called Christians. So what does it mean to be called a Christian? Well, the Greek word is Christianos, which means follower of Christ. So it's someone who's following Jesus, plain and simple. You can cut away all the baggage. You can cut away all of the nuance. You can cut away all of the stigma. And the truth is, being a Christian means that you are a follower of Christ. Are there any Christians in the house today? Can I hear a shout from the Christians today? Yeah. Followers of Jesus. And you know what? I'm so thankful that God unites Christians and forms the body of Christ. I'm so, so grateful that God unites Christians, gives them a common vision and purpose, a common spirit and purpose, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, and uses them powerfully. I want to talk to you today about a particular church in the New Testament, one of the earliest churches in the Bible. And this church in particular has such a unique connection to who we are as a church. I've just found this great link, and I want to share it with you today. But before we get to that, I just want you to keep in mind that the point today is that the strength of the church is its ability to unite people, to bring them together. You see, the early church that we're going to talk about today is called the church in Antioch. And Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman world at the time. You had Rome, you had Alexandria, and then you had Antioch. It was a major center. In fact, it was an awesome place, and it was the powers that be in Antioch that called the believers of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, Christians. It wasn't the disciples that said, hey, let's come up with a really catchy name for ourselves. Let's go with like Christian. Let's do that. Let's do Christian. I like it. Do you like it? Christian. All right, let's make t-shirts, right? It wasn't like that at all. 
In fact, they were just busy being the people of God. They were just busy being in love with Jesus. And, and the culture, the society around them decided to give them this name. And there's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. So I want to look in now with you into this place where um, in Acts chapter 11, it introduces us to the church in Antioch. So, you know, when they were in, when the Christians showed up in Antioch, why isn't that, why isn't it that they just said, listen, let's just put them in one of the little Jewish sects. We've got a bunch of Jews here. Let's just put them in with that. Why was it that these Christians had to be identified as their own people? And we're going to find that in the storyline here of our text today. First of all, I want to talk to you about this church in Antioch, and I want to answer this question, how did this church start? How did this church start? And I think it's really cool to tell you that this church was born out of revival. Isn't that exciting? Is born out of revival. And so I'm going to share it with you here in verse um, 19 of chapter 11. It says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Now, a few weeks ago, I preached uh, a message about being united of spirit and in purpose. And in that message, I mentioned that God gave a vision to Peter that transformed the landscape of the church. It totally transformed the church. And the reason why is because he had this vision of God saying, it's no longer just about the Jews. Now it's about everybody. In fact, I like the way that Paul says it in Galatians chapter 3. He says, there is no Jew and no Greek. He says, he says there's no slave and there's no free. And he also says, huh, there's no male and there's no female. So it's not about gender. It's not about socioeconomic status. And it's not about nationality. What is it about? He says, none of these things matter. All are one in Christ. And so all of a sudden, Jesus brings it all together. And so Peter had this incredible vision. And as a result of the vision... He said, we got to go everywhere. we got to reach everybody. And so these guys were only going to the Jews. Let's read on. What happens next? Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. I'm going to pick up that verse in just a moment. But let me just help you understand. Antioch is up in the corner between Turkey and Greece, right on the Mediterranean. And, and below Antioch is this island that's called Cyprus. So people came from Cyprus over to Antioch. But the cool thing is, is it says there's people from Cyrene there as well. Cyrene is modern-day Libya in northern Africa. And so people came from near Cyprus and far Cyrene to come to Antioch. And when they got there, they were all Christians already, and they started to talk to people who weren't Jews. They went outside of what was supposed to be normative. They said, we're going to talk to the Greeks as well, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now listen. Some of us would have in our minds that revival is about demonstrative expressions. Some of us would have in our mind that revival starts when miracles happen. But I want you to know, according to the Bible, and even according to what we saw here in Glad Tidings when it first began, the revival came as people bowed their knee to Jesus. Listen, revival is seen and understood through people's lives submitted to Christ. Amen? 
If we want to see revival, it's about, it's about souls. It's about people coming to Jesus. You see, this passage talks about scattering and persecution. And as a result of the scattering and the persecution, God does something amazing. And so that's why week after week, when you come to church here at GT, you hear us talk about the challenge and the pressure. Why? Because it's real. The challenge and the pressure of life is real. The, 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 the difficulty is real. But the cool thing is, is God's right in the middle of it. Amen? He's right there with you in your difficult place. He's right there with you in your tough spot. So understand this. When you come here on a Sunday, you don't have to pretend like there's not a problem. All you need to know is that there's an answer to the problem and his name is Jesus and he's on your side. And so in the middle of this, we look at the persecution and the scattering and go, oh, how terrible. But in reality, it gave birth to the revival that built the church in Antioch. That's how the church started. Okay, I'll answer another question. How did the church grow? What happened next? Let's read on. It's so exciting. It was born out of revival, but it grew through the encouragement of solid leaders. Look at what it says here. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Barnabas is known as the son of encouragement. So read this next verse with me, because he does what he says he is. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. The revival continued under the encouragement of solid leaders. And that is so exciting to consider that God brings leaders along that are going to fan the flame. And even more people are going to come to Jesus. And that's what we see here. But let's move on because it didn't just get started. It didn't just grow. This church matured. And then there was an incredible outflow that I want to talk about in just a moment. But how is it that the church matured? Let's read on. It's really because there was intentional teaching. Intentional teaching. Because here's what the Bible says next. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Now, in my message two weeks ago, I talked about how the church was, was in a tumultuous time. They were persecuted. They were starting to scatter. But, but Paul came, Saul, came back to Jerusalem. There was all kinds of problems. There was, you know, there was fighting. They were going to kill him and so on. So the disciples sent him to Tarsus. That again, that seems like a loss. Like he was sent away. But it was all for the purpose of God. Because from Tarsus, he comes to Antioch. Let's read on. And when he found him, when Barnabas found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church, taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So you want to know where Christian came from? It came from Antioch. It came from the officials in Antioch that had no idea what to call this group of people who just showed up. You see, let me explain to you how ancient cities worked. I mean, it's the third largest city in the Roman world, but it was still an ancient city. It had a large round wall around the outside of it. In the very center of it was a marketplace. And in that marketplace is where all the business took place. And between the outer wall and the inner marketplace, there were walls that would separate different sections of the city. And in those different sections, everybody was separated by ethnicity. In fact, the slogan of Antioch was all the world in one city. Just like we would say, beautiful British Columbia, right? 
their slogan was all the world in one city. And why was that important? Because they kept it neat and tidy. You can come here and you can still be a Greek. You can come here and you can still be Phoenician. You can come here and still be from Cyrene. We've got every group in one city. And they were all walled off. So here comes the Christians. And what do the Christians do? They go everywhere. You can spray, but they keep coming back, right? Like, they go everywhere. They just, they, they break every barrier. They break all the cultural rules. They start talking to Greeks and then to the Phoenicians and then to the, those from Cyrene. And they've got this message about Jesus that's for every single person. And so now all of a sudden there's all these people from different cultures and different backgrounds and different socioeconomic groups. It doesn't matter if you're a slave. It doesn't matter if you're a male or a female. You belong to Jesus. And so now the city officials are going like, okay, these guys are really messing with our boxes, literally, with our segments. They're, they're, they're messing everything up. Uh, those are Greeks, but, but those are Greek Christians. So are, like, this group, what are they? So they had to come up with a new name. So that's where Christian came from. How do we begin to put a, a sense of understanding around these people that are crossing every cultural boundary, who are who are pushing back the barriers, who have this radical way of living that needs an identifiable name because they were Christians. Not only in name, friends, but in practice. In practice. And so being a Christian means that you cross barriers and boundaries. Being a Christian means that you think about a global impact. Being a Christian means that you realize that God wants to push beyond whatever barriers there might be in the culture that you're in. He wants to reach everyone. That's what being a Christian is all about. So now, as we look at this beautiful, vibrant, life-giving church in Antioch that is super multicultural, it's all the world in one city and all the world in one church, what is the outflow? I mean, after, after the revival starts, and after this, the encouragement of solid leaders, and after the intentional teaching, what is it that happens? What's the outflow? Well, what we see, and you'd have to read on in the book of Acts, and we don't have time to do that, so you can do that yourself. You can read on in chapter 11, all the way up to chapter 13, where you see some more stuff. What ends up happening is there's a couple things that flow out of it. The first thing is incredible generosity. When a church matures... When it comes into a place where it has, it has matured, all of a sudden generosity flows. And isn't that true about our Christian walk as well? When Jesus really gets a hold of us, he also gets our pocketbook. He also gets our wallet. He also gets our bank account. That's what happens when we mature in Christ. And I would suggest that there's a certain place you get stumped, you get stuck if you don't allow Jesus to be Lord over your finances. And so we see this maturing church that all of a sudden starts to give. Not only that, they give because they've heard that a need is coming. They gave before the need, and they sent money to Jerusalem, large amounts of money into Judea from this very wealthy city, the third largest in the Roman world. And, and you know what else they did? And this is so fun. They became a church-planting church. Can you believe it? In fact, the church in Antioch 
stayed Paul and Barnabas' base. And so as they were sent out to do their missionary work, they would go and plant churches, and they would come back to Antioch. And they'd report to Antioch and say, let us tell you what God's doing all over the world. Let us tell you. So Paul planted almost 20 churches, and those churches planted churches that planted churches that planted churches. It's impossible to see how far the impact goes, maybe all the way to me and you today. But the truth is, is those churches were planted out of Antioch. And friends, I just got to tell you, I see a powerful parallel between the church in Antioch and a beautiful, vibrant, life-giving church on Vancouver Island called Glad Tidings. Does anybody see the parallel? Man, this literally jumped out of the Bible at me when I was, when I was reading this. Because GT, let me tell you the history of GT. In 1923, Charles Price came and, and preached a powerful, powerful uh, meetings, group of meetings, and a revival broke out. In fact, it was so powerful. People were giving their lives to Christ. They were singing hymns on the streetcars in downtown Victoria. By the time the revival came to its end, 5,000 people gathered in the arena across the street. Not that one, an older one. And, and they gathered there to worship God and, and to declare him great. There were miraculous things that happened. There were miracles. People came to Jesus. Lives were transformed. And out of that, a small group remained. And they said, let's keep this revival fire burning. And that church became Glad Tidings Church. It wasn't Glad Tidings Church. At first, it was, uh, 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 it was the Gospel Tabernacle. It was Victory Tabernacle. It was Victory Chapel. It was all kinds of different names. And, 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 and I think they still, people still call Christians all kinds of names. But we settled on glad tidings. And now we're glad tidings and been glad tidings since the 40s. And so this church was born out of a revival, just like the church in Antioch. And then as, as the church began to develop, they used to meet up above um, the fish and chip shop on Broad Street. And that fish and chip shop became the place where solid leaders came and encouraged this fledgling group. And um, I heard the story from Joan Goodwin, one of our most senior members. She's 101 years old and um, 102 now. She's had her 102nd birthday, friends. And uh, so Lisa and I went to see her uh, when she was 101. And, uh, and boy, was she ever sharp. We sat together and she talked, she shared, she opened up her heart to us. She talked about how her family came to that fish and chip shop. They were going to the Methodist church and their father was feeling frustrated with what he called dead religion at the time. And he made his way over to those night meetings uh, above the fish and chip shop. And he went in there one night and Smith Wigglesworth was preaching. And maybe you don't know Smith Wigglesworth, Google him, he's worth it, okay? And, and Smith Wigglesworth was preaching in that upstairs mansion. Talk about the encouragement of solid leaders. And, and, and Joan Goodwin's father came in and he was ill. He was sick, either stomach or back, I can't remember. And he was miraculously healed that night um, when he was prayed for by Smith Wigglesworth. He went back home to his family. His family didn't want anything to do with those, you know, Pentecostals up there. And he said, I was healed. We're going. And so he dragged... Joan was telling me they didn't want to go. He dragged them to the, to the mission um, up above the fish and chip shop for a couple of Sundays. And one by one, she said, and one by one, we all came in to Pentecost. What does that mean? I loved the way she said it. 
It meant that the revival DNA that was present in that citywide, city-transforming revival was still at work in this little mission, and they caught it. And they were filled with the Spirit of God, and their lives were transformed. No more dead religion. Now live faith in Jesus Christ that shakes the world. And as a result, through the 30s and the 40s, these solid teachers came and a Bible college was born that's now called Summit Pacific Bible College over in Abbotsford. And through the 50s and 60s, and and then there was a powerful move of God in the 70s in the heart of many of the people and this building was built. And through that season and before into like the, you know, the 40s to the 60s, many churches planted out of that Bible college as far away as Winnipeg, And up north all the way to Alert Bay, there's still a Glad Tidings Church in Alert Bay today because of that season. James Bay, Oak Bay, um, across to uh, Esquimalt, up to Central Saanich, and North Douglas, which is still um, a functioning church today. Colwood Church, which is a vibrant church out in Colwood. And um, we even helped sponsor to bring over from China the pastor, the first pastor for the Chinese Pentecostal Church here in Victoria. So friends, there is revival DNA in us. We are a church planting church. And if you follow that through all the way through the 70s um, and the 80s, and now here we are today, 2016, just three years ago, we planted again GT West Hills. And I want to tell you, I was there last week. It's a vibrant place. They have so many kids. I don't even know what they're going to do. They've had to, they've had to expand kids' spaces over and over again. It's a vibrant community, close to 300 meeting out there every week. We are so excited about what God's doing. And then, of course, we talked two weeks ago about our campus launch of the Ignite community. And I want to tell you, I was at their launch, 250. 50, almost 260 at the launch. And so God is working powerfully and God continues to work. Friends, GT is an Antioch church. I'm telling you, if, if I was, if was going to go to church in the ancient world, I would have chose Antioch. What a cool place to be. What an amazing revival. What an exciting place to do ministry. So just like Antioch, we have revival DNA. We have been raised under solid leaders. We have strong teaching. We are generous and we are planting churches. And friends, it's not that we were an Antioch church. We are an Antioch church and we must continue to be an Antioch church. Amen? I had the privilege of saying this in the early service, but I'll just say it again. I have such a love for the church. And part of the reason why I have such a deep love for the local church is because I had the privilege for 12 years to serve under Pastor Ron Machowski, who who he and Jill together carried the load of this house for 25 years. He's still a part of the burden and the vision of this house. And because of him, because of his love for the local church, I, I can tell you honestly, I, I dream largely. I believe in the local church. I don't just attend the local church. 
I don't just, you know, um, uh, give to the local church. My heart beats for the local church. It is God's idea, and we get to be a part of it. And so I, I'm so thankful, thankful for him and Jill, and they're here this morning, and we just love them so much. Can we just give them a hand again? We just love you guys and honor you, thankful for you, bless you, appreciate you. And so, you know, how many of you believe that God isn't done yet with GT? Hey, oh, come on, you can do better. God's not done yet with GT. Amen? He's not done. We are going forward. And listen, I know it's 96, but I'm already thinking about 100. Is anybody with me? Are you thinking about that 100th anniversary? Oh, my goodness. What is it that we want to celebrate when we turn 100? That's a good question. Uh, Friends, it can't be about the 20s, although we'll say, man, what a great start. It can't be about the 30s and the 40s. It can't be about the 50s and the 70s and the bus ministries and the, the, the outposts and the Sunday schools and the pioneering days. It can't be about that, friends. we got to celebrate not just what God did, but what God is doing and wants to continue to do. Amen? When we reach 100, we've got to celebrate the next 100 that are coming. You know... I tell you, I want to celebrate with you when we turn 100. I want to celebrate with, with you the many campuses that are, are, are giving life on this island. I want to celebrate with you the many different locations where the gospel is being preached and life is being planted. I want, to, I want to celebrate with you the audacious dreams that we're seeing come into fruition because of kingdom builders giving. I want to celebrate with you a West Hills campus and many other campuses that are really rooting deep in communities and maybe even thinking about property themselves to create presence week to week. I want to celebrate with you a a central Victoria location that is completely refreshed and focused on the next hundred years of great ministry in the heart of this city. I want to celebrate with you, but I don't want to just celebrate the past, friends. I don't want to come to a funeral when we turn 100. I want to come to a party. Amen? So I, I, I... I know you're with me. What's next? What are our next steps as a church? What are the next things that we're going to be doing and being a part of? And I'll share with you what I believe are the three next steps. The first thing is, is we're going we're to continue our building project. We are in building phase one. And you can see the wall here. And I want to help you understand why. Why the wall? Why the building phase? Well, I want you to understand, phase, we say phase one because there's many other phases to come. And, and I really believe that we are doing this not because you have a pastor who is <clears throat> 45 and, and years young, thank you very much, and, and, and wants to do something to make a splash. That is not it, friends. This is entirely, entirely about people. This is about reaching people. And friends, can I just help you understand why? See, what this is right here is this is the shell of what will one day be our state-of-the-art, beautiful new nursery facility for our littlest ones. And, and, and why are we doing this? We're doing this, one, because we need more space. Let me help you understand. In June of 2018, we had 650 children registered in our kids' ministry, and that's pretty incredible, 2018. Fast forward 
to 2019. One year later, in June of 2019, we had 650 in 2018. In 2019, we had over 1,250 children registered in our kids' programming. So friends, we need more space. It's awesome. You are doing great at being fruitful and multiplying, and, and God is adding. God is adding. I mean, it's a revival spirit, and there's people coming to Jesus. There's people joining the church. There's people who've been looking for life. They've been disconnected or discontented, and they found a place here among us. And as a result, that, that kid's ministry is just booming and expanding, and we get to celebrate that. I mean, I'm just so thankful for the many, many, many lives that we get to touch. And friends, a church that doesn't prioritize children and youth and young adults is a church that will be dead in short order. And so we have to, because of the mission, because of the hundred years of fruitfulness, we're holding the ball. Let's not drop it, right? Let's invest where we must invest so that the life of the church can go forward. This is our legacy, And this is our season. And so I'm excited about that. So this is going to be our nursery. You see, you have to understand that that we need this building uh, phased out because it's it's not just about the children, but it's about practical things like traffic flow and parking lots. It's about the back of the the facility here being opened wide so there can be a clear pass-through so we can walk back and forth between the buildings. It's about a brand new set of washrooms over there. How many of you know we need washrooms? Very important. And truth be told, we just, the building wasn't built for all of you. You're too many people. And it's wonderful. It's exciting. So we have to expand. We need expanded washrooms. We're going to put beautiful new washrooms back here. And that's going to be the expanded new uh, washrooms for the, for the facility. And so we need to be able to do that. And so that's phase one. And I just want you to know that um, because of your faithfulness last year in our heart for the house offering, we are, we are ahead of what we needed in order to start the phasing. So we are ahead. We have money in the bank to start this project. But I will tell you this, that the need will catch up to our resources before the project finishes. And I really believe that God intends to help us stay ahead of it. I really do. And, and, and so what I'm going to tell you is I want you to mark your calendars. This is the second next step beyond the phase one is we're going to have a special heart for the house offering on November the 17th. We had a heart for the house offering last year and you responded incredibly. And I'm just going to say, let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it so we can stay ahead of the project. And so phase one is due to be completed in the spring next year, late winter, early spring. And so we're really believing that we're going to be able to stay ahead of it financially. And so I'm going to ask you to consider, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm not going to suggest that you give a certain amount. Here's what I want you to do. I just want to ask you to ask God. That's all. I, this whole thing is a God thing. This whole adventure is in God's hands. And I just want to ask you to ask God, how can you participate? How can you be involved? How can you help us with the heart for the house? Because I really believe that God wants to help us do that. So we, we're talking about a central space for kids. We're talking about traffic flow. But there's another reason for the, for the building renovation, and it has to do with security. You've seen our security team. They kind of, they're, they're, they're here to help us. The reason why, one of the main reasons why we have the security team is because 
we have some vulnerabilities in our building because of the way it's designed, and the vulnerabilities have to do with our children. So God's blessing us, and we have a growing number of children, but we have too many access points to where our children are. Right now, we have nursery up there, we have preschool back here, and we have elementary down the stairs. So our kids are everywhere all over the building. The, the, the rooms are adequate, but we want to create a centralized space that helps to um, allow parents to work with their children easier, to come get their children when they need them, but then also it's a secure space without access to anybody else. Right now, we have our security team patrolling and checking all of the areas to make sure that only the registered workers are where they need to be and nobody else is wandering. But the truth is the building wasn't designed with that in mind, and so that's why some of the upgrades. We need to be able to create a kid's, a kid's area that's going to be here and down the stairs. This is where our kids will be, across here. And so they'll all be in one space. There'll be a central way to get in. We can protect the children. We can lock off all the extra doors, and only registered workers are inside. Do you understand? We're just thinking about the safety of these wonderful, precious children that God has given us. And so would you help us? Can we do this together? Can we just say that we are committed to not only the past, but to this bright future in these beautiful little ones? And so thank you, thank you, thank you for coming prepared for the heart for the house. And I'm not even done sharing all the exciting things, but I need to ask you for five extra minutes. Can I please have five extra minutes of time? Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Even if you said no, I'm taking it. So that's a... Um. I want to talk to you about the the third next step. So we've got the building phase one, two. We've got uh, beyond the building phase one, number two. We've got the heart for the house offering, number three. I'm I'm so excited to tell you that. GT has a trained and and prepared leader and a location. We are going to plant again in 2020. So that's when the cannons go off. Boom. Woo! Yes. God, God has put a burden in our heart for the city of Esquimalt. And we're going back to Esquimalt. And I say back because from 1947 to 1977, we had Bethel Tabernacle in Esquimalt. It was our church plant there. And through that period of time, we ministered. And one time, there was as many as 100 children in that ministry. And so, friends, God has called us back to Esquimalt. It has geographical and and psychological barriers known as the Johnson Street Bridge. And a lot of people don't want to come over the Johnson Street Bridge when they've already been over the Johnson Street Bridge all week for work. They want to stay in their community. And so there's 18,000 people in Esquimalt that we believe God has called us to reach. And so I want to talk to you about that. I want to introduce you to the church planter, uh, the church planting couple that we're sending out. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. So Chris, would you come? Come on up. This is Chris Kong, Pastor Chris. And um, Pastor Chris has a, an amazing family, and his amazing wife, Kirsten, is on the front row, row right here. Kirsten, can you stand up and say hello to everybody? Let's give Kirsten a hand. Kirsten is currently helping us in our kids' ministry. She's uh, one of our one, one of our great, great team that are making it happen for our kids, specifically elementary program. And Chris has been, over the last year, our church planting apprentice. So he came to us a year ago in October, November, November. November 
and um, has been working with us just getting a, a solid DNA download on how GT works and, and why we do what we do, how we do it, values, vision, and culture, so that he can embody that when he goes out. So the whole goal of this last year has been to train him as a church planter. Now, Chris and Kirsten come to us with ministry experience. They met at Summit Pacific College, and Chris and Kirsten were both on staff at Broadway Church in Vancouver at one time, and God brought them here for us, and uh, it's our gain and Broadway's loss. So <laughs> we're so glad you're here. Chris, come on, let's sit yeah, together thanks. for just a moment, and why don't you tell us a little bit about your story. Tell us about your journey. Hey, um, it's good to have you back in Victoria. Yeah, it's so good to be here, Andy, and welcome. Good morning. Glad tidings. Good morning. Good to see you. Yeah, man, it's so good to be back at Glad Tidings. And I was born and raised in Victoria to right. a non-Christian family. Yeah. And I owe a great debt of gratitude actually to my mm. grandparents who modeled Jesus for me. Mm. And you wouldn't see me up here today if yeah. it wasn't for them. So right. I actually have, my grandma came here today to be here. Oh She's my right goodness. in the third row here. <gasps> and I just want to call her out. Give her honor where honor is due. Grandma Kong. Grandma Kong. Such, such a precious lady. Yeah, grandparents out there, your legacy of faith and the prayers of your praying right, are that's right. powerful and potent. Be encouraged. Don't give, don't give them up. Yeah, it's, it's such good. a beautiful thing. It's very good, Chris. Um, and just to fast forward a little bit, past my, uh, you know, when I accepted Jesus when I was a kid, and, and I actually went to Pacific Christian School, and, and after high school, I chose to step away from my faith for hmm. many years. And I got into the wrong crowd, and I actually almost gave, like lost my life hmm. uh, in, an, in a life-altering situation. But God was calling me back to Him through it. Oh wow! And I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't really see it at the time. But mm -hmm. um, a few months later, I get this message uh, on the answering machine, and and you know, it was before cell phones. Yeah. And my grandma said, "Oh, uh, Pastor Andy from Glad Tidings wants to chat with you." I was like, "Oh, okay, sure." <laughs> so I called you up, and I, I know you remember, and I. Uh, I said, what do you need, Andy? And he's like, well, I'd love to have lunch with you. And I said, I love lunch. Yeah, you did. So we, uh, we headed off to the, he invited me to Raymond's Buffet, rest in peace. R.I.P. Raymond's yeah, is no more. Raymond's but... so good. And on the way there, I remember praying. I said, God, would you give me something to do for you? Hmm. Because if you don't, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to yeah. be a part of what you have. Hmm. Um, and we got our broccoli beef and our pork fried rice and all the good things. And we hmm. sat down and... And you said to me, Chris, I've been thinking about you and praying for you, and I want you to lead my youth worship band. Mm. I was so struck by that. I'm like, how, does, how do you know that, you know, it must be a Holy Spirit thing. Must be God. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so I said to you at the moment, I remember saying, like, Andy, I have to do this. Mm. You said, take two weeks and think about it. No, this is it. I know that God mm. is calling me forward. Yeah. And so that actually started a beautiful uh, start to my ministry wow. here at Glad Tidings in 2006. Yeah. And uh, I was one of your first interns right. with people like Laura Lira. Right, right. Uh, Harkening yeah. back to those old days. And, yeah. and, uh, and it was just an amazing, beautiful time of mm. ministry. And, you know, people like Pastor Ron Michelski and yourself yeah. were, were mentors and, and champions of me mm. in that season. I remember you actually prayed for me at this altar, just under this keyboard. There used to be stairs. And you prayed for me at that altar, sending me off to, to Summit Pacific College. Yeah. And I, I won't forget that prayer. You said... God, would you make Chris a catalyst for change? Hmm. And I still believe God is using me as a catalyst for change awesome. today. Awesome. And your prayers are still being realized. Wow. So thank you for that. So good. Yeah, so it's good. amazing. Thank you, really God. Cool. Yeah, thank you for your, your uh, yeah, just believing in me. And 
So yeah, and, and at Summer Pacific College, I met Kirsten, and we had our little daughter. She's two now, Noelle, and if you see her, she'll probably give you a big hug. She's so welcoming. But that's kind of the, the history of, yeah. you know, Very Chris cool. at, at Glad Tidings. So. Well, and, and isn't it amazing? We're doing all these parallels, and we're paralleling um, GT with Antioch. And, and there's also a great parallel between um, what we're wanting to do in Esquimalt and what we know about Langford. I mean, uh, Esquimalt, this 18,000 people, I, I, I want to hear your heart for them. But, but just, just as we talk about that, it's very interesting how there's this, this revitalization that's going on in Esquimalt and how um, the median age in Esquimalt is 30 to 32 versus Victoria, which is 50 to 52. And so yeah. there's a lot of young life there in Esquimalt. And, 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 and we're just really excited to be able to go and to provide an experience very much like we were able to do with West Hills. So, right. so you know, um, when, I, when I started the church planting journey at GT, I, I, I felt like God said, hey, you're going to you're going to plant, SGT, you're going to plant 10 churches that are going to be life-giving all across Vancouver Island and touching even the surrounding islands. And I was like, awesome. Okay, so I start, you know, I'm strategic, so I get my map out, and I'm like, ooh, that's a big center, and that's a place, and maybe over here, and what about there, and what about this group? And I start mapping it all out. And then I'm thinking like, okay, so now all I need to do is train and develop leaders to go to these places I've mapped out. And uh, one time I was in prayer with the Lord, and I was saying, like, okay, God, just help me know what's next. I was praying for Chris. He was already here, and, and it was sort of like, God, t- help me know what's next. What's next for us as a church, and where, where should we plant? And, and, and the Lord, you know how the Lord does. He talks to you sometimes about stuff you're not wanting to talk about, but he wants to talk about. And so I felt God say to me, Andy, how do you feel about arranged marriages? And I thought, hmm. Well, that's a weird question. Um, I certainly wouldn't want one, but I'd really like to arrange all of my children's marriages, right? Sorry, right? Come on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so I'm, not, I'm not sure how I feel about arranged marriages. And, and I guess I have to say, I don't want that. And, and, it was, and then God said to me, well, then why are you trying to do that with church planting? And I was like, oh, I, oh. It's like, I'm going to find a leader and say, here she is. You'll love her someday, right? And, and, and I felt like God just said, go to Chris and talk to him about him praying into a burden that God's going to actually call him to fall in love with a city, with an area. And God's going to put it in his heart. And then from there, he's going to put his whole life and energy into that. And so, so Chris, tell us what happened. Yeah, so, man, I... My heart beats faster now when I think about a squimal. And oh, it's man. not just because of high blood pressure. Yeah, like, <laughs> Good to it's, know. It's a God thing. And, yeah. and I, I remember uh, I just had started here and we started the 40 days of prayer back in January. And yeah. I was asking God, like, what do you want me to pray about, God? And he actually said to me, Chris, I'm going to give you the name of a place that I want you to go. Wow. And I remember just praying into that and, and not really getting an answer into the summer. I was still praying about that. But every time I thought about church planting in that time, all I could think about was we need to get to a Esquimalt. Mm. We need to get to a Esquimalt. Mm. And, and I just kind of birthed that. And I, as I spend more and more time there, I see such a great opportunity. Uh, you, you were mentioning there's 18,000 people there. Yeah. That's 18,000 next steps for wow. people to take. Awesome. 18,000 people who need to be reached with the gospel of yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And, and it just makes my heart beat fast because I know we can reach them. Awesome. Just as God used my story of rescue 
He wants to use my story and some of our stories, the people in this very room, to reach people in Esquimalt. Yes, so yes. I think about, you know, the, uh, we have our military base there. Right. And I think about having, you know, there's, there's families there where there's a parent that's away for six, nine months on a wow. ship. And, right, right. You know, reaching those single parents and, yeah. and reaching the 1,600 youth that we see there that haven't wow. been reached yet. Wow. There's a lot of work to do in yes. Esquimalt. Yes. And for me, it's a little bit of a homecoming. And, hmm. 23 years ago, I lived in Esquimalt as a wow. kid, and uh, it's, it's really cool to see God bringing me back yeah. uh, into Esquimalt, and, and you talked last, uh, two weeks ago about making a, a home for people, yeah. you know, that's what we want to do here at GT, is make a home for people to come to meet Christ, and I really believe that just as my home was Esquimalt, we want to create that for other people, that people can come and see Christ yeah. uh, when we meet there, so awesome. I'm so excited to see what God is going to do, there's amazing um, capacity or availability of just God yeah. moving there. Yeah. And uh, we're just excited to see him do that. Oh, it's awesome. It's, it's going to be life-giving. It's, yeah. it's going to be amazing. Well, church, are you encouraged? Are you thankful? Isn't God good? I mean, he is just up to something That's and right. we get to be a part of it. Listen, I wonder at the close of this message, if you would just stand with me, I want to ask Chris and Kirsten to come uh, to join Chris, and, and the worship team's going to come, and in just a moment, we're going to sing Waymaker, because we have a God who makes a way, right? And he has a purpose and a plan, but I want us just to extend our hands and pray a prayer of commissioning for Chris and Kirsten as we consider the next uh, season. We're, we, have, we have some time here. We're going to plant in the fall of 2020, so we're about a year, about, about nine, ten months away, and uh, we just believe that between now and then, there's strategic doors that need to open, strategic conversations that need to have, uh, be had. And so we're going to ask you just, would you pray with us? Would you extend your hand to this amazing couple? And, um, and let's just pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your beautiful call upon the lives of this couple. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have a purpose. And, and you, Father, you have called them in a very specific way. And you continue to beautifully confirm that call. And so, Lord, we honor, we honor the call of God upon the lives of your servants. And we say in Jesus' name, open a door that no man can shut. Provide supernaturally, Lord. Provide a supernatural place, Lord, a venue, God. Supernaturally, provide a venue in that particular community where we can be in the heart of what's happening and we can bring life there. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would open up doors of relationship, that you'd call people alongside of them to be a part of this experience, to, to go, Lord God, to be an Antioch church sent out to do the work of the ministry. And so we thank you for them and we lay our hands upon them and we bless them in the name of Jesus. And we believe, Lord God, that you certainly will go before them and provide for them during this season. And we believe, oh God, that it's going to be an incredible launch in 2020. And we give you all the praise for it. It's for your glory and your name. Jesus, allow us to be the church. Break down barriers and bias and and give them open doors into new yes, communities. Lord. And so, God, we yeah. thank you for this in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. amen. I tell you, today is just a day to be excited about being part of the church. Because Jesus is doing something. Jesus is using his church. And listen, friends, you get to be positioned to be a part of the miracles that God wants to do next. And I'm so thankful for that. I really am. You know, I read um, a poem by Robert Ferguson.
just recently, and it was so impactful that I felt that I needed to share it with you. And so as we, we're going to sing as we do to close, and I, and I just want to thank you for staying with us. I'm going to read this poem to you. And, and, and as, you, as you hear it, just let it settle upon your heart. It's about the church, the church of Jesus Christ. And here's what he says. She, the church, is the plan of God on earth, always in her Father's eye, cherished, mysterious, beautiful, and potent beyond measure, king empowered and life infused. She emerges triumphant, limitless with potential, a harbor for the hopeless and an answer for the ages. The church resplendent, a bride for his son. She is the body of Christ on earth, born like her head amidst tribulation under jealous skies. Cradled in her innocence and guarded for his purpose, she grows in wisdom and stature with victory on her lips and freedom in her hands. Hers is an unstoppable cause. She embraces the world with dignity, honor, and compassion. She gives vision to the sightless and life to the dying. She is the family of God on earth. Within her compass, the hungry find sustenance and the weary receive strength. She's a haven for recovering humanity, enthralled by grace. She invites the broken, the vulnerable, and the outcast to be immersed in love. She stands imperfect, but perfection resides within her. She is flawed, but is washed with forgiveness. She has a treasury of faith and a wealth of belonging. She is the house of heaven on earth. And we are that church.